Today's sermon is called The Christian and Government. Now, I don't know about you guys. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Just, just smile at me if you want. So I know you're listening. How many, don't raise your hand, it's, 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 a, it's a rhetorical question. How many of you have political opinions? Now, I don't know, I, ah, <laughs> a hand went up, like, I got some opinions. Now listen, I got some opinions too. I mean, there, if I'm watching the news and there's a story about something, I may have no knowledge of the field, of the people, of the situation, but guess what? I got an opinion. I'm just, I'm just a very opinion. And it's me and Angie, I'll just mouth off all the time. If I was in charge, I'd do this. I'm, I am the world's greatest armchair quarterback. Like, I should be the president of the United States of America. You know what I'm saying? Like, but here's the thing. Because we all we have a lot of opinion, opinions, um, I listened to a few preachers preach in this text this week. I listened to some sermons by some pastors I really respect and trust. I heard one, uh, one pastor was a great a great pastor, loves the word of God, and he preached a full 45 minutes on this. At the end of that sermon, he said to the people, he said, I'm so sorry that today I preach from my heart and not from the text. So today it is my goal, my hope, to preach from the text more than my heart. My goal is to give you my, I don't want to give you my opinions, because we all got those. And those things do not bound our hearts to the truth. I want to tell you what the Lord says, because that gives us direction. My ideas die with me, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Understood? So what does this say to us today? We begin. Beloved, I, verse 11, beloved, and that's, I love Peter. He's like, I love you guys. And it's, it's, Peter is a pastor. Peter, he's writing to people he loves, and I say to you guys, I know my voice is loud. So we're a church family. I love you guys. I'm talking to you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm talking with you, okay? I am in your seats too. And I read this text. Spurgeon once said, the greatest sermons must, must be preached to yourself first. This text has been beating me up all week. The Lord's been smacking me around with this text. So now it's your turn. <laughs> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Listen, that's the theme of this whole book. Peter says, we, if we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, if that's you, that's true about you, if you've been born again into Jesus' family, you, this world is not your home. You are born again to a heavenly family. You, your heart is not here, it is there. We are in this far-off country. We live here, we work here, we play here, but we know we will not find peace until we go home. We, don't, we, are a, we are a square peg in a round hole in this world. We are exiles and sojourners. He says, because you're sojourners and exiles, you must abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Here's a free thing for you, in case you don't know this. Just because you became a Christian does that not mean that you aren't tempted to do evil. I love Jesus, and I'm still tempted to be really stupid sometimes. We are tempted to be bitter, 
to gossip, to hurt people, to lie. It's still in us. He says, listen, exile sojourners, you got to abstain from that fleshly lust stuff. How? By keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, keeping your behavior excellent among the pagans, so that in the, in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. He's saying, listen, you got to live well in this world so that the very people who talk trash on you, when they see your good life, they can't help but see the good God you're pointing to. And Christ said the same thing. Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Peter's just quoting his Savior, our Savior. So we're told our behavior can point even our enemies to God, okay? And this introduces three areas of submission. He talks about the Christian government, the Christian and our jobs, <laughs> and the Christian and our marriages. It's like, oh, leave me alone, Peter. Like, he just applies this principle, these different areas of our life, and he starts with how we interact with authority. So here we go, verse 13. Let's keep our conduct excellent. Here we go. He says, be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether to the king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. He says, be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution. So here's our first principle. Christians are called to submit to government. That's hard. Let's, let's, let's look at some of the hard words in this phrase. Well, first of all, there's, he says here, to every human institution. He talks with the king, to the governors. Let's go through our stuff here, okay, in Flint. Who's our mayor? Neely. Who's our governor? Big Gretch, baby. Who's our president? Biden. President Biden. And he says here, we got to submit to these authorities over us. And some of you are like, now hold on, but we'll get there. Let's walk through piece by piece. We're going to walk through this. The people, these people that have authority over us, apparently God put them there in authority. And God called us to submit to them. Now this word submit, to many of us, we don't like the word submit, do we? No. We're Americans. Submit, I don't submit to no one. Here's a, so when I was young, when I was in college, um, so I was in college, and I was a pretty big mouth kid, and uh, one day, my freshman year, um, the RA, who was probably like 21 years old, he's a senior in, in college, and he's wrestling some, one of the freshmen, just smacking around, like, just making him look stupid for everybody. And so as they're wrestling, I'm thinking to myself, man, this punk is bowling this little guy around. So I say the line that every man dreams of saying his entire life. Why'd you pick on somebody your own size? And he's like, all right, so we're going to wrestle. Everyone's going to watch. Like, oh, man, Nesto, the new guy's going to wrestle the big guy. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm a, I, I, I'm a fighter, guys. I, here in Flint, like literally on the east side, so I used to be like 
Remember Andre the Giant and Princess Bride? I used to wrestle like groups of people at the same time, and I'd beat them all. It was awesome. So I, I am, I, I'm tough, and I'm strong. So I'm going to wrestle with this guy, and I'm like, this guy didn't even know what's coming at him. Well, it turns out, my uh, R.A. Shane, Shane Gauthier, Gaither, I don't know how you pronounce the last name, but Shane was all-state Minnesota wrestling. I had no idea. I'm, I've been there like two weeks in school. So we're in a wrestling. Everyone's there to watch, and I'm just like, I'm going to show my dorm mates how tough I really am. So we go to wrestle, and we're going like, you know, to lock up in the middle. I've never wrestled an all-state champion before. We go to lock up, and before I know what's happening, I am turned around, I'm sitting down, and I am in a chokehold. Like, he has, he has me locked in a triangle. I ain't going nowhere. Like, I, I, I don't know what happened. I'm like, I'm looking like, what the, I, I was standing up, and now I'm sitting down, and my head's in this guy's arms. So I'm trying to fight to get out, because I, I don't want the fight to be over this fast. So I'm grabbing, but dude, he has, if you're a UFC guy, you know, when you get you locked in, there ain't nothing you can do. He's got me locked. And I'm fighting, I'm pulling. He's trying to talk to me. I listen, I'm just like, and everyone's laughing, because they, they go, it's pretty embarrassing. Um, well, he says to me, he goes, Ernesto, you got to tap out. And I'm like, rah, rah, rah. he goes, Ernesto, you better tap out before you pass out. And he, what he's doing, I don't know, he is literally cutting off oxygen to my brain. It's called a sleeper hold for a reason. And so I'm in this triangle, and as I'm grabbing, my arms start losing strength. Like, like your muscles stop working. I'm like, like I, I can't, I can't. Like, so I'm, and he's like, he, and he's talking to me, Ernesto, just tap out, buddy. Just tap out, man. And I'm so stubborn, and I'm so proud. I just go, I'll see you when I wake up. And I pass out. <laughs> I, I pass out in his arms, and he lays me down. Because in, in my world, I don't submit. You can knock me out. You can break my finger. I'm not saying uncle. That's who I am. And a lot of us have that, that streak of resistance, of rebellion, of don't you tell me what to do. We have that in us. And here the Lord just goes, man, be subject to every human institution. And it goes against so much what's in us. When we made our third value, obey the king, I almost chose the word honor the king instead because I thought obey is too offensive. But we are really trying to say, if you follow Christ, you better bow the knee before him. If he's your king, you obey him. He has the right to literally, he can tell you, man, he can say, you want to go right? I'm telling you to go left. And he has the authority to do that. Obey the king. And we're being told here to submit to governance. To submit to governance. That's hard for us because we do not like submitting to authority. Listen, I have friends who are teachers. When I was a kid, if a teacher called my house to my mom I was being misbehaving at school, when I get home, guess what? I'm going to know about it, aren't I? My mom's going to be like, just, it's going to be a thing. Well, nowadays, 
Most teachers, they call home and say, your kid's misbehaving. The parent's going to blame the teacher. The, the stinking parents, like every parent, there's 30 kids in a classroom, and every parent's like, you're picking on my kid. Like no one's on their team anymore. Being a teacher nowadays is hard. Because every single, no parent wants to say, my kid's a little terror. My kid is kind of a mess. We don't want to admit this. So we yell at the teacher instead. I, listen, when I was a substitute teacher, I substituted here in the city of Flint for about a year. It was really hard because kids would stand up and just to my face challenge me. I can't imagine as a youth doing that to a teacher. My mama would have beat me red, yo. And I'm brown starting out, so that's bad. That's a lot of beating. I had a guy once, like, I got once get up to leave, and I'm like, where are you going? He goes, I'm leaving. So I, I walk, stand from the door, and this man's probably a 16-year-old uh, high school kid, probably my height and my build. He's 16 years old. He gets in my face. He's like, get out of my way. I'm like, sit down. And we just stand there, and I think to myself, if we fight, I might lose. Like, I, I might lose this fight in the middle of these um, but he tells me, like I said, he's like, I'm like, sit down. And we stand there. Just, and he goes, you can't touch me. You're a teacher. He, 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 goes, he goes, you can't touch me. And I said, I ain't a teacher. He's like, and I, I'm, dude, I'm, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. But he challenged me that far. And then he just goes, I'm just playing. And sat down. He just wanted to test me to see what I was. But listen. Authority, we do the way we treat our teachers, our policemen, our, we talk. We show a lot of dishonor to our leaders. And listen, as Christians, we're not any better than the world. I've seen Christians, when their candidate doesn't win an election, we howl about it. It was rigged, it was fake, it wasn't fair. And then if our person does win, and the other side complains, we say, oh, you're a sore loser. That was us two months ago. As believers, if our person doesn't get elected, we will talk mad. I, I remember when President Obama was president, and Chris was saying, stinking, they're calling him what? Uh, Osama. <laughs> Disrespectful to the leader God put over our nation. And it's not okay. We're called to honor the leaders God to put above us. And when we don't honor that leadership, if I, I've heard people, some Christians say, that ain't my president. When you say that, you have the freedom to say that. You have the freedom to talk that trash. But when you talk that trash, the Lord is not with you. You are against his will in that moment. We're told to honor our authority with word and deed. I was on TV once, there was a leader, a political leader on TV, did something kind of crazy, and I got upset, and I started yelling at the TV, and I called the guy stupid. I'm like, man, why are you so stupid? And my 11-year-old daughter, she goes, Dad, you shouldn't call that leader stupid. And I was like, oh, you're right, babe, you're right, Lena. And I'm like, I'm, I said to the TV, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but I'm glad I taught her to respect authority in her life. She respects her teacher. She knows. She's like, I told both my kids, if your teachers ever call me, just know it's on. Like they know if the teacher calls me, 
I'm on this team, not their team. That's what it is. We're called to be subject. And listen, why do we submit to governments? Are we submit to governments for a few reasons. One, okay, first, somebody think to yourself, what if our government is a train wreck? Listen, Peter's government was a train wreck. Peter lives in the Roman Empire. The emperor of Rome is going to kill Peter eventually. He's saying, that guy who's going to kill my wife and kill me, respect him. That's crazy, dude. He goes, listen, God put that authority there, and we have to respect it. we got to respect it. That is what he tells us. We have to, and listen, I am not great at this, man. I live in Flint. If you live in Flint, you know. You've ever heard of the Flint pause? You heard of the Flint pause? The Flint pause is when the light turns green, you pause and look both ways because someone's blowing that red light, right? Yesterday, me and my kids were driving down Court Street and there was a big old accident. I see cars, in a, one car's in a house and one car's in the road and I'm pulling up and uh, I look over and someone's waving at me. It's one of my friends. So I pull over, I jump out, and a bunch of my friends, we're all hugging and talking and I'm like, you guys okay? He's like, yeah, we're okay. I'm like, they called the police two hours before, the police hadn't come yet, so just waiting for the police in the rain. Cars are jacked, dude, it was crazy. But I'm like, what happened? Someone blew red. It happens in our city all the time. Listen, sometimes, oh, I won't say this. So sometimes I, 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 I skirt the laws sometimes in this driving in the city. And my, my daughter, whenever I do it, my daughter goes, Dad, like you should be a better example. And I'm like, <laughs> I've raised her well. Listen, but where God calls us to submit to governance. Now, listen. Before I go on, I want to say that government, God has given government a job to do. In verse 13, it says this. It says, governors sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. Government is instituted by God to punish evil, and to praise good. Here's some examples of this. Some of you are too young. For those of you who are old enough, I'm 42. For many of us at my age, 9-11 was our Pearl Harbor, wasn't it? We all know where we were when it happened. About eight years later, I believe, one day the news comes across saying that Os Osama bin Laden had been found and he had been killed. Remember that? And the nation celebrated. Because like, this person who masterminded this terrorist plot that killed all the innocent people was found and the American authorities sent the military in to stop this person from ever doing it again. The government has the authority to do that thing. And I'm glad they have it. God gave, he gave the sword to the government to protect its citizenry. Last week in Nashville, there was a shooting at a school. And I don't know why they released all that, the, the footage from the body cams. I, I watched a little, I can't watch that stuff, man. But apparently, when the police got there, they got out of their cars and they ran towards the guns. There's kids in danger. Those cops were in there, and they, they're, they're like, they could die. They're, 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 their goal is to save as many as they can. And they go in there, there's three of them, they're going through the hallways, they don't know what they're walking into, they don't know how bad, and they engage the shooter. 
The shooter attacks them, and they put the shooter down. And those police haven't given, they've been given that authority by the government, and the government was given that authority by the Lord to stop that shooter and protect those kids. The government is created by God to punish evil, to stop evil, and to praise good. Now, the government should make laws to protect people. If someone steals something, there should be a penalty for that. There are some places in our country that are flirting with not punishing crime. And those experiments are going very badly. Not punishing crime allows for more crime to grow. But the next part of the government's job is to praise good. Is to essentially let people live good lives and not trouble them for doing so. The government should exist for allowing people to live and have families and enjoy the good things God has given. The government often fails in its job, doesn't it? We live in the city of Flint, and we know this better than most. The water crisis in our city was a man-made disaster. Man-made. We still don't understand how much damage this is going to do to not just us, but to our children and our children's children. Before this is all over, there may, there may be no one ever held to account for what happened here. No one will ever be punished for the mistakes that were made here. So far, there's no charges, are there? There's nothing. That's hard, because you think this, this thing happened to us. Like, our, in Flint, in our city, so there's a national average for developmentally challenged children in the nation. In the city of Flint, the amount of kids born under the water crisis that have developmental disabilities is substantially higher than the rest of the nation. Those kids drank that lead and it did things to them. Something the government does fail. If you're here and you feel called by God to get involved in governance, I say praise the Lord and get involved. We need God-fearing, godly people in leadership. I've prayed about it. Should I join the city of Flint City Council? I've prayed about it. And the Lord thankfully said no. And I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> like, I watched the council meeting. I'm like, don't make me do it, Lord. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, like, so I, I, some people here might be felt, felt called to work on maybe the school board or the city council or a small little board in the neighborhood. That's a great thing to be involved in. But if the Lord does give you social authority, you better make sure to honor God with it. If you get authority, don't use that authority to take care of you and your cronies and not the poor and the vulnerable around you. If God gives someone authority, it's for a reason. I, one of the reasons when God says to us submit to governance, us submitting to governance is us essentially trusting the Lord. It says right here, it says this, be subject for the sake of the Lord. I obey the king, not because the king is worthy of respect. I respect the king because I love Jesus. And I trust that ultimately God put them in authority. That's a hard thing. 
I love when Pilate faces Jesus and Pilate tells Jesus. Pilate's questioning Christ and Christ won't answer and Pilate says to Jesus, Pilate says, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or set you free? And Jesus finally speaks and he says to Pilate, you have no power over me except that which my father has given to you. Like he's not afraid of him. Like you think you're going to hurt me? The Lord's in control. Us submitting to government is us also saying, I trust God. I tr Even if a leader tries to fight God, I know who's going to win that fight. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and why do they plot and scheme against the Lord and against his anointed? The Lord in heaven laughs and he sits in derision at them. He's not afraid. Not afraid of America, he's not afraid of China, he's not afraid of Russia. He's not afraid of us. So our submission to governance is an act of trust. But there's a question we should all have in our hearts, right? I think we all felt it. I'm talking about submission. And listen, submission to government, I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying not to rally for better laws. Please rally for better laws. During an election, if there's a candidate you believe in, tell your friends. Put their sign in your front yard. You're allowed to say, I think this candidate's the best. And let me tell you why I think this. You're allowed to share those thoughts, and you should. It says, it says here, act as free people. You're free. You're free to believe things, to think things, to say things. But when the election's over and someone's been chosen, we respect that. As a church, whenever there's an election, we often pray for everyone. Democrat, Republican, Independent, we pray for them. And some people get mad. Listen, I want God to give wisdom to whoever's in charge of this place. I want God to give great counselors to whoever has leadership over our land and our city and our state. That's what I want. Praying for them is a good thing, not a bad thing. But the question in all of our hearts right away, when can we resist? Can we ever resist? And the answer is yes. I go to Exodus chapter 1. Joseph, son of Jacob, sold into slavery to Egypt. Joseph becomes the man in Egypt. He brings 11 brothers into Egypt, and the Pharaoh gives them land to live on. But Pharaoh dies. And a new Pharaoh rises up who does not know Joseph or his brothers. And they see these Jewish foreigners growing in their borders. They get scared, so the Egyptians enslave the Jews. But even though they make the Jews work hard, even though they're under the whip, the Jewish, the Jewish tribe grows and grows and grows. That's what the Pharaoh decides to do. Exodus 1.15, And the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whose name was Shipra, the other was named Pua. He said, When you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall put him to death. If it's a daughter, then shall she live. The king says to these midwives, 
born. These babies are born. If it's a boy, you kill the baby. That's the word, that's the law of the land. The king has spoken. So what do they do? Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had spoken to them, but let the boys live. King Egypt called them and said to them, why have you done this thing that the boys lived? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwife can come to them. Listen, they lie through their teeth. The, these midwives are like, but Pharaoh, these Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're just in the field. They have the baby put on their shoulder and keep on working. It's crazy. They lie about it. They, they disobey the king. They deceive the king. What does God do to them? So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied, became very mighty. Now it happened that because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. The Lord blessed them for disobeying the ruler. Which means there are instances where Christians can resist government. When? When? Because apparently Peter says the default position of the Christian is submission. And us being good citizens, it tells the world we live in, when people see us being good citizens, it'll make them praise our Father who's in heaven. So when can we resist? Now I've heard some preachers say it's never okay for a Christian to protest. It's never okay for a Christian to speak out. But every Christian I've heard, every preacher I've heard say this is a preacher who's never been powerless in a hard land. There's a book right here on the floor called Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins. John Perkins was born, like I said, 1930s Mississippi. Almost a hundred years after Slavery. But the Jim Crow laws were so brutal down south, African Americans still lived under a yoke that made it impossible for thriving to happen. And you read about Mr. Perkins and how they protested. And I read, and my heart is filled with hope and righteousness at the worthiness of their cause. You understand, as they protested, it was peaceful and God-honoring because we will never use the weapons of the world to fight the world. We don't throw bricks. We don't break windows. We don't burn things down. If our cause is just and we use ungodly means to fight our battle, we have already lost we've already lost Christ has shown us a better way so when how do we resist I go to the book of Acts I go to Peter and John um, I go to Acts chapter 4 here's the principle I want to give to us today Christians can resist the government Christians can resist if the government commands evil. Christians can resist. Christians may resist if the government commands evil. In Acts chapter 4, 
I'll begin in verse... I'll begin in verse 18. So what happens is Peter and John are preaching. They get arrested, brought before the authorities. That's what the authorities say to Peter and John. Uh, when they had summoned Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They said, don't do that. Don't speak Jesus anymore. So what are they going to do? That's what, Peter said, that's what Peter and John say. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to hear you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John go, you know what? We've heard what you said to us, and we're not going to obey you because we feel God's calling us to something else, so we've got to obey God versus you. Now, let me say a few things about this. They resist the authority over them. First, may. Christians may resist. Know this. If you resist, it may cost you something. You might not win. You may be in the right. You Listen, you, you read this book right here about John Perkins' life. They would protest evil laws. And often, there was one instance where the police took Mr. Perkins and a bunch of college um, volunteers and beat the ever-loving life out of them in the, in, the, in the jail cells. Took turns just teeing off on them. Not one cop was charged with a crime. John Perkins was charged for a felony, went to the state Supreme Court and was never told what he was charged with. That's crazy! He, he was right, and he was found guilty. That happens sometimes. Sometimes you can be on the side of righteousness, and the, listen, if you choose to resist, authority might smoke you down. You just have to know that. Just because you're right doesn't mean you'll win. Just know that piece up front. Peter and John go, you know what? We're going to preach Jesus, and if you're going to kill us, you go ahead and kill us. When I lived in India, some people were mad that we were preaching Jesus. Uh, some militant Hindus got real upset with us. Most Hindus were totally cool, but a few like really militant guys got really mad. And they would call and threaten us and say these things. Well, one day, the police came to our home to get us, and my family hid my wife and I, and they took my, my Indian father and my Indian brother, and they took them to the police station. At the police station, there was a mob there waiting, and the police handed my family, my Indian family, to the mob, and the mob beat the tar out of them. Oh, it's, like, it's like out of a stinking Bible story, dude. So we're waiting in the dark at the house, and all of a sudden they come home, and they are the shirts ripped, faces bloody. And I told the father, I said, listen, my wife and I will leave the country tomorrow. We're sorry we brought this level of attention to you and your family. They want us gone, we'll leave, and there'll be no more trouble here. And that man said to me, he said, if they kill me, then from my blood will grow a great and glorious church for our king. He's like, let him come. And I was like, well, if you're in, I'm in. You might lose, 
I also want to say this. You better make sure your cause is righteous. If you're going to resist authority, you better make sure you're in the right. Because a lot of Christians love to fight, and we're not in the right a lot of the time. I was watching, I remember back during COVID land. Here in Michigan, COVID land was tough because we, it was really strict here in Michigan. Do you remember how strict it was, the laws? I had friends who owned restaurants. We were locked up for so long, people lost a lot of their livelihood. People lost a lot of money back then. Well, I remember during the lockdown, um, I remember Home Depot, there'd be like a line to go in. You'd have, you'd check, they'd check your mask, and you'd go in like 50 at a time. It was nuts. And only essential stores were open. Remember, only essential workers went to, went to work. Well, I remember the, the governor came on TV once, and the governor was like, you know, uh, Michiganders, many of you, and in those days what happened was, we're all getting those, uh, remember the um, stimulus checks we got? Yeah. Oh, um, it was crazy. And people were like at home, not working, getting checks. People were like doing home projects. I'll redo my kitchen, I'll redo my deck. It was awesome. People were at Home Depot. Home Depot made a fortune in those few months. Well, the governor said, listen, you guys aren't listening you're buying non-essential things. She, said, oh, she, she closed down the Home Depot garden department. Remember that? It, it, she's like, don't be buying no flowers. And she said, if you guys don't start behaving and wearing your mask in public, we're going to start fining people. Yeah. Now, she didn't do it, but she said it. Now, I'm watching TV. She says that, and I lost my mind. I'm in my house watching TV. No one's there, just me. And I'm like, you're going to find me? Like, I, I was, I, like, I'm like, I, I, was t- I was talking so much trash in my living room. I'm like, come and get me. I was, I was yelling, dude. Like, the thing, the thing is, I was wearing my mask. When, when she asked me, please wear a mask, I'm like, I'll wear my mask. When she threatened me, I'm like, I, I was a crazy person. You're going to threaten me? Like, I, I was yelling at the screen. And so I get done yelling, and I calm down. And I'm standing up, dude. I'm just like, I'm, I'm like my heart's pounding. My wife comes in. She's like, you done? I'm like done. It, it, she goes, so what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm like, let them come get me, babe. Let them come get me. They'll see. She goes, let me ask someone, ask someone, what's up, babe? She goes, is wearing a mask going against any of the commandments of God? I was like, no. She's like, is it causing you to sin? I was like, No. What are you going to do then? I was like, I'm going to wear my mask. Because <laughs> she was right. In that moment, I wanted to get wholly angry, pretend I was on the side of justice, but it was just a personal, rebellious thing. In that moment, I had to submit to the, 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 what they were asking me to do did not harm anyone. It, didn't, it was not sinful. It was not evil. I needed to back down. And it was hard for me to do so. And a lot of what many Christians will fight the government for are secondary issues. I see many Christians will fight, will, will, will take constitutional rights and say, I will fight for this. If you're going to stand against the government in any way, you better make sure you're with the, with the Lord for real, not just fighting for one of your pet issues. A lot of us have a lot of pet issues, and if we fight for those things, I don't know if God's going to be in our team. There are real things that are evil in the world that are worth resisting. It's true. So, the, the essential thing is this. 
for the most part, we're called to, to obey government, to submit to governance. If you feel God calling you to resist, you, you get counsel. Talk to spiritual leaders. You better make sure before you sink in, walk in that ring, that you have God's blessing on your side. And even with God's blessing, you better understand the powers of the world can crush small people like us. We might not win. Listen, when uh, I remember I first, when I was here in Flint, I remember Dr. Mona came out at the Flint Farmer's Market and she said, don't, don't let your kids drink the water, it's full of lead. I remember that press conference very well. I'd been in the city only a little while. I just moved back to the city after being gone for a few years. And she said all those words. And that night on the news, many media personalities tried to just, like, diminish her and make her look dumb and bad. She's talking trash. It's not true. For a week, her name was dragged through the mud in the press. I remember that. It was crazy. They said she was looking for attention. She wanted to become, like, she was a media hound. And then after a week, the state came back and said, we did our own test, and she's right. Stop drinking the water. She stood for what's right, and she got her head kicked in for 10 days in the press, dude. That's wild, and that happens. Her cause was just, and she still took a beating. So I want to say to us as believers in Christ, let's be good citizens. Let's obey the laws of our land. And I'm talking to me too. It's hard for me too. I'm a rebellious, mean person. But being a good citizen, it points people to our Savior. It really does. Now, we're going to take, we're going to end our time together by taking communion. And this act of communion is a very important act for us today because here's the deal. When Jesus took the bread and broke it, this is my body broken for you. When we resist authority, we do not use the weapons of the world. We use the weapons Christ gave us, loving sacrifice. How did Jesus overthrow the devil? He died. He gave himself up. He let his body be broken, and he won. As Christians, we don't fight with the world weapons. We fight with faith. We fight with prayer. And we fight through Christ. So we're going to take communion today. I'm going to ask our ushers to please come forward. Now, before we go, so who can take today? If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, you can take. You don't got to be a believer. You don't got to be a member of Flint City Church. If you're here, as it's passed out, go ahead, take one and wait for everyone to have one before you take. And, then, and as you wait, go ahead and take a moment to pray. Get your heart right before the Lord. Make sure you and God are good. So, brother, go ahead and go ahead and pass these. And we'll wait till everyone has one, and then we'll take together. If you're online, go ahead and grab uh, something from your kitchen. Grab a bread and a water, and you can take at home if you'd like.
week. Today is Palm Sunday, which means all those years ago, Jesus walked into Jerusalem today, and the crowds put leaves in the ground, and Jesus was called king. Tomorrow, he'll cleanse the temple, knocking over tables. On Thursday, he'll have a meal with his disciples. We're going to open the top, clear portion. I'm going to get mine. Hold on. It's hard sometimes. Almost. I've got sausage fingers. night Christ was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it he said this is my body which is broken for you let us take in the same way go ahead and remove the top of the juice in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. My blood poured out for your sins. Let us take. Let us pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for dying that we may live. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for making your home in our hearts that we may have comfort and guidance for the journey. Help us in this life, O oh Lord, as exiles and sojourners, to respect and honor the authority you put over our lives. Help us to trust you even when the powers be evil. Jesus, come quickly. In Christ's name, we ask all these things.